there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Apropos of nothing, my parents were consummate hosts. They loved entertaining, and they always made guests feel welcome. Everyone loved my folks. They even made me feel like a guest, even though I could get my own beverage or snack or whatever. The one area where they fell short was coffee. They made absolutely shite coffee. It wasn't just that they bought a crummy brand, which they did. They also just barely used any grounds, and so the coffee was super weak. Now, I always put cocoa and honey and cream in my coffee, so it becomes this rich and delicious muck, as Matt calls it. But at their place, even with all that stuff in it, it tasted watery and thin and yucky, like if you've ever tried to make cocoa with water instead of milk. I don't mean like hot chocolate that comes in a packet, because those are often meant to be made with water. But I mean like actual cocoa, making that with water instead of milk. (laughs) As much as I enjoyed their company over a cup of coffee, I would come home and make coffee because my body knew it was missing something. So today I'm going to offer you a little sampler, a few scenes from Gatekeeper's Revelation as a teaser. And I'm also going to read just a tiny little bit of the first chapter of Griffin and the Spurious Correlations, which I will be getting to in a few weeks. So keep in mind, this is first draft. I don't know exactly what order the scenes are going to appear in the book, And they certainly haven't been revised and polished and edited and so forth. But but I'm just going to share with you a few of the things that I've written that I know will probably take place near the beginning of the book. So these are some tentative excerpts from Gatekeeper's Revelation by Krista Wallace. The War Stopped When Duchess Tannis Malfi's soldiers awoke in the morning, they stepped out of their tents to look at steam rising across the fields. In the distance, where the enemy tents had been spread, making the landscape look like it was covered in drifts of snow, was instead a series of spirals of smoke from pyres, like candles dotting the foothills of the mountain. It appeared that Dregor's forces packed up what they needed and left in the night. The Allied soldiers looked at each other fearfully. What did it mean? Scouts mounted their fretful horses and rode, scarves over their noses and mouths, through the muck of blood and mud toward the enemy encampment. They feared a trap, and many a body was rippled by a shudder. But the enemy camp was devoid of life signs. Carts, barrels, broken weapons were heaped and burning, anything of use having been taken away. A nearby gully had served as a dumping ground, no dignity for their dead. Dignity was for the civilized, and nobody could argue that Dregor's soldiers had a shred of civilized about them. The entire enemy army had departed during the night. Traces of their passing scattered the land heading northeast, following the ridge of mountains. The scouts returned to their own camp to report. The general dismissed the scouts and gave the order to her army to be at ease, but wary. She set a watch for all directions, just in case. 
One has to ask, she said, as she poured liquor for herself and her subordinates, why would the enemy simply call the war off? If it's over, what was the point? She shrugged and led them in a toast to Tannis Malfi and Valraker, then added, I hope the enemy has found whatever it was he was looking for. All across the continent, soldiers from Balin, from Shay, from Kell, from Heath, from Eckert and the guarded realm, stood wary, bracing themselves against the collective chill in their souls. So that was kind of a, a prologue-y sort of a bit. Um, this, next, this next thing I'm going to read to you is... Uh, similarly to the way I started book two by, by by doing kind of a repeat of the final scene of book one, but with a, with a few enhancements, I will probably do the same thing with the final book. So it'll be similar to that, that last scene of Gatekeeper's Deception where Val and Kier are sitting in her little room and uh, he has just given her a brooch. Um, I won't read from the very start because you just listened to the end of that book. So, uh, I'm going to just scroll down a little bit here and, um, just go from here. Now, he said, you do recall that there's a party downstairs that's been going on these two and a half hours. Shall we go? She got to her feet, which were just as steady as if she hadn't consumed three and a half bottles of elvish wine on her own. Some day, she ventured, some day will you explain it all to me? He smiled at her. Slowly, he nodded. Some day, he said. Will there be wine at this shindig? she asked. You better believe it. Let's go. The great hall was awash in music and dancing. A long table of food had been picked over, but Kier stood next to it, grazing over the bits and pieces of chicken, cheese, tiny tomatoes, greens, and some crispy bits from the outside of a chunk of roast pig. Amid the crowd, her friends caroused and celebrated. There was Kian Barthelen, lord arrogant prick of this duchy and this castle. Kier did not see his wife Alon Mare anywhere, and assumed the lady had gone to bed. Kier poured herself some wine and silently toasted the lady, her own small celebration of what she and her friends had done to find the cure. "'Wish you could join in?' said a voice. Kier was pleased no end to see Harley upright. "'I'm not in the same mood as they are today.' The wine was delicious, but her spirits had gone to vinegar. "'It's more enjoyable to watch them.' "'I don't blame you after the stunt Kian pulled today.' Kier had to chuckle. Yeah, he was surprised at my reaction, to say the least. So I hear, Harley said. Kier raised the wine bottle in offering. Harley shrugged. The healer says I'm not to, but I think a little won't hurt. Kier poured him a small cup of the deep red liquid. What shall we toast? Harley sighed. New beginnings? That works. Their pewter cups tinged musically. I never got a chance to thank you, her companion said. Surprised, she said, you have nothing to thank me for. Oh, yes. If you had said even one word against me, there is no way Valraker would have welcomed me. Of all your company, you were the one who really knew what I had been involved with. Kier shrugged. 
It was hard to even remember old average height guy being part of the enemy camp. She liked Harley. She couldn't help it. Nothing but respect for the way he'd duped her the day they met. Harley had played his part well and had been suitably sheepish for a villain. That he had eventually turned on his chief and joined them had come as a surprise, but in spite of herself, not an unwelcome one. Every action Harley had taken since their paths had converged had been in support of Kier's mission, as though he had discovered that there was something else out there for him to do. Derry whooshed breathlessly up to them, having released his dance partner with a bow. <sighs> I'm so glad you came down, Kier. It didn't feel right without you. The man had been enjoying wine all evening, or he'd never have said such a thing to her. She smiled and said, Harley was telling me how pleased he is to be part of our company. Derry gave him a slap on the shoulder. And we're glad to have you on the good side. It's an honor, Sir Derry. Derry blushed at the new title. I hope to make up for lost time, Harley said. Anyway, I appreciate whatever good words you've put in. From what I was told, you earned it, Kier assured him, and Derry nodded. I was out of it for most of the time, but the way you tried to stop Frederick from getting away showed you were done with him. She chose a piece of cheese from the tray. With him, with Misty, with all of them, Harley shuddered, especially the specter. The specter? asked Derry. Harley drained his wine cup. He's the leader. He's the one who made Frederick chief after Ronav was killed. He poured himself some ale, the preferred choice of his healers. Name's Golgothar, really, but they call him the Spectre because of the way he appears and vanishes. Tall fellow, pale, always in black, kind of like Lord Valraker, only... He cocked his head thoughtfully. Tidier? No offense, Sir Derry, but Lord Val is much more relaxed, if you like. Golgothar's appearance seems to mean a lot to him. All his pleats press nice and neat, if you see what I mean. Scares the life out of me. Chills me to the bone, as it were. Always cheerful and smells like flowers all the time. Only you don't dare associate that with anything pleasant in his case. Kier had stopped chewing. Tall, pale, dressed in black. Smelled like flowers. She knew this man. The food she had eaten churned in her belly like poison. Why not? asked Derry. Does he have an agenda of some sort? You could say that, sir. He's lieutenant to Dregor. Kier nearly choked. She felt like she'd been kicked in the gut. It was all she could do to not flee from the room and fling herself out a window. All the music and revelry in the hall was suddenly muffled as if someone had closed a door on it. The man who had convinced her he was helping her, who had since betrayed her and tried to frame her for murder, the guardian was Golgothar, lieutenant to Dregor. Less than an hour ago, Valraker had told her he did not want to risk the enemy learning that she could gate. For her protection, he had said. Too late. The enemy already knew everything, she had told him herself. So that's really rough, but um, it gives you a little bit of an idea of what I see happening at the beginning of the final book. The last bit I'm going to read to you from Gatekeeper's Revelation takes place not long after the scene you just heard. Now that Kier knows the true identity of the Guardian, it's time for a confrontation. Still uncertain whether she would be able to open a gate on purpose, she stared into the middle distance and visualized the image she had seen. It was as easy as eating. 
a choice she made, not quite as natural as a breath, but certainly without effort. She tensed her upper body muscles and felt a tiny shove in the back of her gut as the familiar shimmering doorway opened before her. A frigid breeze rushed through and ruffled strands of her hair. Captain and Duke stood behind the gate. It wouldn't do for them to be seen by anyone who might perchance be visible on the other side. "'I'm going,' she whispered, and stepped through. The portal closed behind her, and she was alone. She stood in six inches of powdery snow. A gray sky hung low over the valley, threatening freezing precipitation, and the wind was like needles shooting into her. Her cloak was outrageously inadequate.' She wished she had been more prepared, but how could she when she didn't know where the castle was located? It stood about twenty paces before her in the valley, surrounded by ice and snow, about a furlong from a forest over to her left. Her breaths came out in puffs of cloud. The castle itself seemed to be in some sort of temperate bubble. The mauve wisteria had died off to be replaced by something tall and yellow. Despite the flourishing blooms whose aroma drifted around her, untouched snow veiled the valley and its surrounding hill. Kier was vexed that if she should deface its purity by taking a step, her footprints would announce her arrival louder than any trumpet. Soft, powdery snow found its way into her low boots as she trudged toward the shelter of the castle wall. There was no snow up against the wall, the flowers defying nature by blooming with hearty springtime fervor, yet where there were flowers there was not much warmth. She took a moment to shake the snow out of her boots. A walkway through an arbor of roses and clematis led around the side of the wall, and she followed it. The cobblestone path was the color of rusted armor, untouched by snow and free of weeds and moss. As she rounded the corner, she came upon the owner himself. About ten steps away, completely contrary to the amount of snow in the vicinity, he knelt tending a flower garden, his back to her. If he had sensed her presence, he didn't show it. I should call you gardener rather than guardian. He spun around, trowel in one hand, small bedding plant clutched in his other fist, clumps of soil dropping onto the grass. She congratulated herself on having startled him. A laugh played in her belly, asking permission to be let out, but she denied it. To put him on the defensive would not be a good place to begin. No, she told herself, better to disarm him instead. With that tiny self-direction, she felt a little bit more in control. She clutched her arms around her in a shiver. Kier! Hello, guardian! She wanted to make sure he heard the irony in her words. Looks like you're better at gardening. He did not bother to look abashed, but opened his arms and bowed. Despite what you may think, it is a pleasure to see you again. She raised an eyebrow at him. To find your locator stone discarded on the path pierced my heart like an arrow. Bastard, she said to herself, yet not a surprise that he should try to shift blame onto her. She stared him down. It shouldn't have. I was barely conscious at the time. And remember, it was precipitated by you making me a rather tempting offer, then vanishing from my life. Ah, 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 he chided. You walked away from me when you'd said you would come with me. All the anger and resentment she had been harboring for several weeks burst forth. My friends were in a battle with, as it turns out, a bunch of people working for you. One of them was trying to kill my best friend, and I saved his life. I never said I had changed my mind about going with you. And then I fell nearly to my death, and you proved your worth as a guardian. 
which amounts to exactly, hmm, let me think, oh, right, nothing. I would be lying if I said I was not bothered that the twins were killed that day. I can understand that. I bet you loved having them on your team. They were both pretty badass and capable of some horrible things. He had the nerve to pretend to look shocked. You wound me! Was it right away that you put Alon's mirror in my saddlebag, or did that occur to you later? Golgothar opened his mouth to speak, but instead exhaled deeply. He turned and crouched down where he had been before. She fancied she saw him take a deep breath, as if collecting himself. To keep an eye on him, Kier took a few steps to the right, so she could see him use the trowel to open a space into which he gently placed the plant. With the same delicate fingers that had brushed her hair off her face, he pressed the soil around the tiny seedling, tucking it into its bed like an infant child. He sprinkled water on it from a watering can. Her breaths came more quickly as she began to recognize his purposeful prolonging of the silence so that he could seize control. Her ire rose. Why, Golgothar? And yes, I know who you really are. No more of this guardian bullshit, she said unabashedly. Why did you want them to think I tried to kill her? It was a good plan. He rose with a shrug and peeled gloves off his clean hands and dropped them neatly next to his gardening implements. Kier's mind was a mushy mass in a cauldron of questions mixed with rage. The jumble tried to resolve into words she could voice, but all she managed to force out was a growl. Why? He waved his fingers at nothing in particular, adding variety to another maddening shrug. "'To guarantee your loyalty?' She let out a puff of air. "'You already had it!' "'If it hadn't been for Derry's hidden drawing talents, "'you would have been convicted, and you would have needed a friend.' She laughed humorlessly. "'And you think I would have chosen you?' "'I had helped you,' he said reasonably. "'I was hoping you would consider helping me in exchange. "'I don't want to say you owe me.' Kier looked around at his garden, at his home, and her heart hammered. A hummingbird whirred by, exploring the yellow honeysuckle. She pierced Golgothar with a glare, and her voice was not much louder than the bird, but the sound was carried on the waves of her rage. Oh, you! You ordered Misty and Juggler to kill Alon Mare! Golgothar held up a hand. Ah, that I did not do. That was their own little side project for someone else. That startled her momentarily, but she held on. Yet you tried to frame me for it! Kier took a step toward him. He towered over her, yet she did not back down. Kier had been trying very hard to remain calm, but the words came out with all the defiance of an accusation, complete with resentment. You say you cared for me? If Derry hadn't drawn that sketch of Misty so Alon Mare could identify her, I would not have been looking for a friend. Kian would have taken up his great sword, and without ceremony or further questions, he would have severed my head from my neck. So I'm afraid you are the last person I would ever call a friend. Golgothar began gathering up his tools. You made a promise. That you broke it affected me deeply. That is bullshit, Golgothar, she screamed at him. You asked me to come here with you and I said yes, but I never promised you a thing. The yes was enough for me. When did I ever give you reason not to trust me? How about the time you didn't tell me you're working for Dregor? For a moment she thought he was going to throw his trowel at her. He tapped his foot. I had your trust so long as you thought I was on your side. Once you learned where my allegiance is, you would have turned on me and skewered me with that pretty pointy thing of yours. 
Kier caressed the pommel of her sword. Is there a reason why I shouldn't? I have never lied to you, Kier. You told me I could trust you. That was the biggest lie. It would seem we have much to discuss. And next, here's just a small excerpt from the beginning of Griffin and the Spurious Correlations. Chapter 1. May 5th. I squeezed my eyes shut and tried to become one with the concrete wall, sweaty hands clenched under my armpits. My guitar hung over my shoulders, and I had to take care not to knock it against the wall. Calvin controlled his tension by tapping out rhythms on a table with his drumsticks. The others looked calmer than they probably felt, listening to the speeching through the double doors. Cameron wiped away a tear as the toast to the bride wrapped up. "'I love weddings,' he said. "'You okay, Griffin?' Calvin asked, spinning his sticks through his fingers. "'Just nervous.' A sudden undulation assailed my innards, and my mouth watered unpleasantly. I hastily handed Calvin my guitar and rushed down the blindingly white service corridor to the bathroom, nearly colliding with one of the servers on my way in. The stall door crashed against the wall, but I got there in time to throw up in the toilet and not all over the floor. I always think it's important to celebrate these little accomplishments. I rinsed my mouth and splashed water on my face. Bugger the makeup. Priorities, you know. I ran my fingers through my short hair, begging it to respond anew to the mountains of hair product I had scrunched into it earlier, and patted down my skirt. Along with the sparkly t-shirt, I looked nice, professional. And at age 27, I wasn't interested in looking like a teenager. When I got back, it was pep talk time. We've got to be good tonight, you guys. Words failed me. We are good, Calvin assured me. We just have to do what we do, and the rest will happen. I guess I looked doubtful because he stared at me with his brotherly brown eyes. You're a good musician, Griffin. He touched my shoulder. I tried to feel confident. Where's Jason? Andy said. I looked around, gripped with a sudden panic. They were beginning the final speech, and I hadn't even noticed our lead guitarist hadn't joined us in the back hall. Was he still in the warm-up room? What the— Jason sauntered up, knocking into a cart filled with empty juice jugs, three of which clattered to the floor. "'Don't fret your pretty little head, Andy, baby. I'm right here.' "'Shh,' Cameron told him. "'They're right through there,' he pointed to the flimsy doors. "'Whatever!' Jason grabbed me around the waist. He swung me into the path of a busboy who had to dodge with his armload of dirty plates. Jason didn't even notice. I'm all set to play some shitty wedding music with my hot girl. Can we rock it up a little, Griff? I've gone over the set list and it's totally fucked. I stopped the twirling and grabbed his roving hands. Be quiet, I insisted. The set list is fine. It's made up of songs our client wants to hear. The client is fucked, Jason replied, with no attempt at sotto voce. Where's the Zepp and Akadaka? I want to rock out with some hot solos. Calvin came closer. There are lots of nice solos in the set list. Shut the fuck up, drummer boy. Just worry about keeping a steady tempo for a change. An awful thought occurred to me, and I pulled Jason into the well-lit kitchen area. What have you been doing? I stared at him, searching for clues. Getting in the mood to play some lame-ass shit wedding music with my hot girl. He ground his hips into me and tried to kiss me with booze-smelling breath. I pushed him away. Don't you hot girl me. You're not just hot, you're fried. 
His dilated red eyes confirmed it. Not only was he drunk, he was baked on I don't even know what. I thought I might throw up again. Come on, Jason, this is our big break. What are you doing? Knock it off, you're such a fucking control freak. What? Just because I... Then it happened. The MC's voice said, And now, Griffin Trowbridge and Dreamline. Red haze billowed before my eyes. It was my big moment, and I didn't think I could walk, let alone remember how to play a G chord. Calvin held the door, and as I passed, I took back my guitar. He put a steadying hand on my arm. It'll be fine, Griff. I actually believed him. And we'll leave it at that today. I hope you enjoyed the samples of the other projects I'm working on. Next week, I have something fun in store for you. We're going to return to Kier's world, but instead of the story, we're going to join everyone in Hall H at Gatekeeper FanCon 2021. As always, thank you to my family, Matt, David, and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks, David and Sharon. Miss you. Don't miss your coffee. Cheers to the original six. And thanks so much to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic. Fantastic.